The gospel today from Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 46, we learn from a blind beggar named Bartimaeus how to beg and how to see, beginning at verse 46. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This is the gospel of the Lord. We call them challenged, disabled, handicapped, special needs. We categorize them institutionalized, chronic, or terminal. We consider them unfortunate, underprivileged, and dependent on our help. Except for this, here's the real truth. Those people end up teaching us people a lot. We pastors get to participate that, in that all the time because we, we go to visit people who are in spiritual need and, and we're the professionals and we go visit them and they, and they need our help and we come back from those visits having been helped by the people who we thought needed ours. That's true for some of you as I visited you. A pastor friend of mine uh, this past week told me that uh, he had a lady in his church who received the news that she has terminal cancer. He went to visit her, and he asked her a good pastor question. This is like a Pastor Patterson question. He asks good questions. This is a good question. He, he, he just said to her, as he's ministering to her, what's going through your mind right now? Here's what she said. That God has been preparing me my entire life for this moment. You know, sometimes dying people teach us how to live. And today, a blind man teaches us how to see. This is reported in Mark chapter 10, that Mark chapter 10 is just packed with, with information and inspiration about being disciples of Jesus. So just before this, the, the Gospel of Mark has, has told us, reported, tattled on James and John who approached Jesus, and as his disciples, James and John said, Jesus, give us positions of authority in your kingdom. And Jesus rebuked their self-centered egos, demanded that anyone who wants to follow him must practice humility, and then promised 
this promise. Jesus says that He didn't come here to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus is telling us, no, I'm not going to give you my glory. I'm going to give you my life. Blind Bartimaeus wants what Jesus wants to give. Blind beggar Bartimaeus wants Jesus more than the things that, that Jesus entrusts to us, more than his gifts. Blind Bartimaeus wants Jesus himself. And blind Bartimaeus teaches us the first point today about what Je something Jesus loves that his disciples do. There's three things I'm going to tell you today. Here's number one, right? That, that we approach Jesus as blind beggars, just like blind beggar Bartimaeus. I love this section of Philip Yancey's book, The Jesus I Never Knew. One I, one, I think one of the strongest chapters to me, strong in the sense of I'm just like nodding and leaning in and, oh, wow, this is good stuff, is his chapter on the Beatitudes of Jesus. Blessed are those who, who mourn, they'll be comfortable. Blessed. All these underprivileged, unfortunate people and how blessed they are. And Yancey makes a point in this parable. He, he asks, what kind of people impressed Jesus? And what kind of people did Jesus in his ministry honor the most? And then he goes on to explain. I'm not, I can't say it better, so I'm just going to read you Yancey's words. He says, a widow who gave her last two cents in the offering. An adulteress. A blind beggar. A nameless child. A man with leprosy. A rebellious son. A dishonest tax collector. A wandering soul a woman with a string of five unhappy marriages. Yancey continues, strength, good looks, connections, and the competitive instinct may bring a person success in society like ours, but those very qualities may block entrance to the kingdom of heaven. Dependence, Sorrow, repentance, a longing to change. These are the gates to God's kingdom. So stop trying to save yourself, to save your life, to, have, to build and have everything your way, he says, and just be a misfit. Be a mistake. Be less, be little. Be weak, be poor, be underprivileged. Those who are poor, mourning, persecuted, and hungry find special concern from Jesus. Yancey finishes, human beings do not readily admit desperation. When they do, the kingdom of heaven draws near. Desperation. Where is that in your life? Where, where is desperation in your world? I think if you were to stop the average person on the street and ask, who in our world is desperate? We would say, well, I would think like an immigrant, an, an immigrant family who's escaping oppression in their country, that's someone who's desperate. Or, or the underprivileged lower class of society that lives on welfare, 
they're, they're desperate. Or someone who's extremely lonely or extremely in need. All, they are all desperate. And Jesus says, I want you to be desperate. What does that mean? It means realizing that, that, that we can't, that we lack, that we're not self-made men and we're not self-sufficient women and we're not independent children or teens. We, we don't, it means we don't have what it takes on our own. That I can't handle my sin and guilt and shame. I, I can't find a way to earn God's approval and, and get on his good side. I, no matter how I try, I, I can't. I'm desperate. I'm in need. I am a beggar. And then, here's what happens. There is a part in all of us that at some point disagrees with all that. There's a, there's a little part in all of us that at some point says, well, that's true of all those other folks. But I tell you what, I, God sure loves me because. And, and there's a part of us that needs to be reminded that we are all beggars. That was not true of this beggar. Verses 46 and 47 say this, A blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, he's blind, and he's desperate, and he's a beggar, and he doesn't complain. He doesn't curse God or curse the government or curse the good people in his neighborhood for not taking care of him. Je Jesus' disciples don't do things like that. I'd be tempted to do things like that. Bartimaeus, this is number two, what he teaches us about what Jesus loves about disciples. Number two, Bartimaeus knows the difference between needs and wants. What did he ask for? See that? Look at that in these verses. What was the very first thing that Bartimaeus asked for from Jesus? What does he need more than anything? Son of David, the very first thing that Bartimaeus says when he realizes that it's, they tell him or he hears the crowd somehow because he can't see, he realizes it's Jesus, and, and if he says nothing else to Jesus and asks nothing else, he, he's going to ask for this one thing. What is it? It's something that he needs, not something that he wants. And he needs mercy. Son of David, have mercy on me. What's mercy? Very similar to grace. Mercy is the, the unearned, undeserved gift of God that he gives to us to bless us that forgives us our sins and gives us a host of other spiritual blessings. And this blind beggar is saying, I'm a beggar. Jesus, I don't have what it takes, but I need your mercy. And he calls out for it and asks for it. That's, that's his need more than his want. As I um, hear people's faith stories, I get to hear a lot of people's faith stories as a pastor. One of the most... I would say this is one of the more common faith stories of people who uh, are, are struggling with their faith or are not secure in their faith is this story. My parents, when I was young, 
dropped me off at church in Sunday school to go there, and then they went back home and had breakfast or brunch or went golfing. Uh, or I would say just as, just as challenging and troublesome is we went to a church as a family, but the only time the word Jesus was spoken was on Sunday in church. It was never spoken the rest of the week in our house. Right? So that's an example of parents who are not doing God's good diligence of taking care of their kids, of raising their kids in the faith. Bartimaeus, his father, his parents must have been a different story. They must have been on the good side of that because this tells us that Bartimaeus is the son of Timaeus. Timaeus taught his son, Bart, to trust in God, to believe in the Messiah, to trust in, and now you see this juxtaposition of these two sons in this, this masterful writing um, by Mark in this gospel. You have the son of Timaeus who trusts in the son of David. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't say son of God necessarily or son of, son of David. Well, that's a title. What does that mean? What is, when, when someone calls Jesus son of David, what are they implying by that? It's, it's true of Bartimaeus right here. Well, who was David? David was an Old Testament king. And through his line, the ancient prophecy said the Savior would be born. So in that one title, Bartimaeus is saying, this is, the, this is the true Messiah. This is the one prophesied from of old. He's kept all those prophecies. He is the one, the only one. And this is, this is true God because he's a king like David, and he rules over everything. He has the power to heal me if he wants. He is a king, and he's the son of Mary. He's true man because David was a man, and for this Jesus of Nazareth to be the son of David, he has to be true flesh and blood, and he's packing all that in that statement. Jesus, son of David, and he's saying, my, my eyes can't see you, but my faith believes in you. I trust in you. I trust that as a king you have riches and you have a, a treasure store of mercy for me and of forgiveness for me. And, and Jesus, I know that you save me and I know everything that is said about you is going to come true and everything that you say comes true, including what you say about me. And verses 48 and 49 say this. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. So his first efforts, right, when he calls out to Jesus, get no response from Jesus. But the response that he gets is shushing from those who are around him. He probably has some buddies, maybe a guide, someone who's helping him out. He puts his hand on their shoulder as they walk through the marketplace, right? Shh! No, 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 no. Not, not, I, don't, I don't know. Why are, why are they shushing him? Jesus, not interested in you, or you're, you're disturbing something, I, some judgmentalism, some try, just trying to honestly help. But, but the people around him were told, shush him when he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Do you ever have people in your life who discourage you from your discipleship? Maybe a, a, an unbelieving family member. Maybe a, an ungodly friend. Maybe voices from the past. Voices from the world. Shushing you. No, 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 no. Not, not you. Jesus will have mercy on everyone else, but ugh, not you. Be quiet. It's not worth the time. 
You're, you're not worth it to Jesus. Voices of our world. What do you do when, when those voices want to shush you when you're calling out to Jesus? Do what Bartimaeus did and shush them back and shout all the more. So Bartimaeus did. He shouted all the more. And so uh, it, it, in all this, in the context, mind you, of Jesus, silence. Jesus hasn't spoken yet. Why is Jesus sometimes silent? Jesus is sometimes silent in your life and in mine to call us forth to greater faith. Am I going to keep asking? Am I going to keep begging or just give up? The silence of Jesus calls Bartimaeus forth to greater faith. He shouts all the more. And then the response of Jesus calls him forth to even greater faith yet. Jesus responds. He says, call him. Have him come to me. Verses 50 and 51. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see So this blind guy, it says he, he leaps to his feet. He, he springs up. He, doesn't, he, he pushes his guide to the side. He jumps out in the middle of this busy street with cars passing everywhere, and he leaps out in front of all the traffic. He, and he starts running. He could, he could smack into a light pole at any second. A car could run him over. He's not using his red and white you know, stick to cross the street. Where he just ignores all the protocols, and he, you know, there weren't cars, but you get what he's doing, right? He leaps to his feet. He jumps to his feet, and he, he comes to Jesus because he heard Jesus' invitation. And he still can't see, by the way, with his eyes. But he's doing all this seeing with, the, with spiritual sight of faith. And don't miss this. In some ways, it's because of his blindness that his faith can see so well. See, our challenges and our, our handicaps and our difficulties in life do that for us. They become a gift, not a curse. And they crystallize that we're beggars and we need Jesus. And so he sees Jesus with the eyes of faith. Someone once asked Helen Keller, who is blind, what it's like to be blind? Here was her response. Better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. There, there are things that blind people can see that you and I can't because they, they, they sense them. They know them with your heart. I've told you the story about my, my friend in Milwaukee, my blind friend who took me to the baseball game, and he gave play-by-play -play during the baseball game, and I, I had no clue what was happening, and he could tell me what was going on, right? Blind people have this sense, and so it's true spiritually, and Jesus is using that lesson to teach us, right? Better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two, two good eyes and see nothing. Uh, so Bartimaeus with his heart, sees Jesus. He jumps out into the busy street and he takes risks that only faith in Jesus takes because it's that important. And, and he comes to Jesus and Jesus, Jesus heals him and then says, I, I want you to go. Your, your faith has healed you. Um, 
Lesson number three for us as Jesus' disciples, we follow him with the sight of faith. All right, so needs and wants don't need to see with these two eyes when you're following Jesus. Need to see with your heart, have your heart filled with mercy. And then you can want to see with these eyes, but Jesus won't always show you what you see with those eyes, but need to see with your heart. And when you do, you will follow Jesus like Bartimaeus did with the eyes, with the eyes of faith. Uh, and so Jesus says at the end there, verse 52, Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. That, that word that, that Jesus uh, says here, has healed you, it's a really interesting word. Uh, interesting in that it's not the normal word for healed. The normal word for healed is a bit more physical-oriented. You're, you're physically healed. We put a Band-Aid on you, and it took care of your boo-boo, and it's all better. That kind, of, that kind of healing, physical healing. That's a normal, typical, average word for healing used in the Bible. This one isn't used quite as much, but it's real interesting what it means. It's the Greek word sozo, which is the word that serves as, as the root word for our word, salvation. It, it literally means your faith has saved you. And not just saved you from blindness, but saved you from heart blindness, from unbelief. Your, your faith has brought you one with Jesus, and his mercy is yours, and his grace is yours. Your faith, and faith in what? Faith in the promises of Jesus. We have no faith except for the promises and the grace of Jesus. So Jesus gives Bartimaeus both. He gives him what Bartimaeus needed, and he gives Bartimaeus what he wanted. He gives him spiritual sight, and he gives him physical sight. He received his sight, a gift that was given to him. And what did he do with that gift? There's also a little juxtaposition here at the beginning we read that Bartimaeus, when he was introduced, it, said, it says here in Mark 10, was sitting along the roadside, sitting by the roadside. And now at the end, what does it say? He follows Jesus along the road. So he was begging by the roadside as a passive bystander. Jesus makes a difference in his life. He's no longer begging by the roadside as a passive bystander. He is walking with Jesus. He's on the road. Jesus, let's go. You lead the way. I follow. Jesus, you gave me my sight. I'm going to use that to follow you. And Bartimaeus uses both these gifts, his spiritual sight and his physical sight. When Jesus says go, Bartimaeus says only if you lead the way. Oh, the things we can see when we don't look with these two eyes, but we look with this, our heart of faith. It's not always easy because Jesus wants us to look in places that we don't naturally want to look, and it can be counterintuitive, but you see here what happens when we do. You see the blessings of Jesus that, that come our way.
Um, I was on a motorcycle trip the last two days just to take a break and enjoy a hobby and, and feel the sunshine for the first time in about a month and a half, uh, as you maybe did too outside. The last two days were just gorgeous. So my best friend, Oli, came down from Wisconsin and uh, we, we spent two days together and we love spending time together. We both love riding motorcycles and, uh, and, and not, just, not just enjoying, but actually working on the skill. And uh, if you, you all ride, you, you drive in cages. That's what we biker call, bikers call cars, they're cages. They, they like imprison you. So, but if you're a biker, you know that to be out on the open road, there's something enjoyable about being there and feel bugs in your teeth and, and the wind in your face and, and you're riding in things, not just past them. And so part of that is the enjoyment of, of these sweeping curves and the hill country and your, your kickback on your motorcycle and it's how to take, how to take the curves is very interesting technique when you're riding a motorcycle and it's counterintuitive. One of the counterintuitive things to do when you're riding a motorcycle to take a curve that way, or if I'm, if I'm riding and I'm going to curve that way, I don't do this. I just push on this side. I just pu push here. And, and it would seem like you would turn the motorcycle that way, but when you, when you push, you're actually causing the motorcycle to lean a little bit. And what happens when it leans? And it starts turning that way. So the best way to take the sweeping curves is to push, lean, and then where are you supposed to be looking when you're taking those curves? It's a little different than a car, not much different though. I don't want to be looking immediately ahead. I want to be looking through the curve because when I do that, it makes me turn my head and all of a sudden everything curves and turns. It's counterintuitive to look that far ahead and to push. Especially for my buddy Oli, because he took a spill recently uh, in, in town. He was going, he, actually he was at an intersection, going 20 miles an hour, he hit some gravel and he, he went down. So now for him to take those corners, uh, it's a bit nerve-wracking for him. So he's got to trust the bike, trust the system, trust the engineering, use motorcycle sight to be looking far ahead through the curve and when he, I was riding behind him, when he did this, he took the curves masterfully. It was great. Uh, but it's all counterintuitive how we're taught to do that. You and I are taught as followers of Jesus to do something counterintuitive when it comes to the curves of life. We look ahead. We don't look down. We don't look at our feet. We don't look with these eyes. But we look with a heart of faith. Jesus gives us gifts. And we use those gifts. And we look ahead. And when Jesus says go, we say only if I follow you and you lead the way. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, we see how lovingly you interacted with this blind beggar named Bartimaeus. We see that he had nothing to offer you, nothing to give you, nothing to, to buy a prescription of yours or a healing power. He simply asked, we pray, Jesus, that our hearts might be so full of faith that we're brave enough to ask you too, as beggars ourselves, to trust in your mercy and in your promises and in your forgiveness and in your grace that are always ours. We pray that, as, as Bartimaeus did, that we may leap to our feet and, and worry less about the dangers and risks of putting our faith into practice and following you and just follow you because... You promise to lead the way and care for us as you always do. 
May this story today, Lord, of blind beggar Bartimaeus sink deeply into our hearts. May it have meaning for us in this coming week, so much so that we're able to live it and share it with others too. Jesus, all these things we ask you because you are our dear, loving, gracious, kind, and faithful Savior. You promise to hear our prayers and to always act on them for our good and for your glory. It's in your name we pray.